Okay, so it seems like we're now recording. Um, so welcome everybody, thanks for coming. And let's start. Om Ajnanat Mirandasya Dhyanam Jana Shalakaya Chakshurum Vitamina Tasmai Shri Gurve Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivana Rotamam Devim Saraswatim Vyasam Tatojayam Dhirayat Manchakalpa Tarubhyasya Kipa Sindhu Vahevacha Patitanam Padinevyo Vaishnavevyo Namonam Okay, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming. Um, so we're speaking from Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, chapter two. And um, so just as a um, a short introduction and review, it's always good to, to review uh, these things. Um, we've done basic, we've done three classes so far. So uh, the, chap the, the chapter has been as far as I can tell, it's kind of there's kind of four sections to the chapter. We've gone through the first three of them, um, and uh, I'll just go through it a little bit uh, again because um, it's, it's they're just really interesting parts, and, and repetition is not uh, not a bad thing, especially in in Krishna consciousness. I heard I heard once someone said um, that the key to Krishna consciousness is repetition. Um, I don't know. If how, how how absolute that statement is, but um, it's a nice one. Certainly, <laughs> we like repeating things about ourselves. Um, I, I have a friend, Namruchi, and, and I was giving class, I think, on the next chapter, the third, the third chapter, and I was kind of like, oh, I'm you know going through all the avatars. I'll segue into that a little bit later, but going through all the avatars, and I told her, I was like, oh, I feel bad because I'm just repeating stuff that everybody already knows, you know, but about these avatars and she made this really nice point that um it's just coming to my mind she's like well we we have absolutely no problem talking about ourselves over and over repeating things about ourselves um even if we know that people already know those things we still kind of relish speaking about ourselves and especially if somebody doesn't know our story you know then we're even more enthused to to speak about ourselves but um you know speaking about the topics of krishna uh just is just because we don't have taste that we feel like oh you know um, we've already gone over this we've already i've already said all these things but once you have taste you can kind of like go over these things over and over again and she was just making the point to you know to not worry about giving class if people already knew all the things she was just saying you know people do that about themselves all the time and these are transcendental subject subjects so um it was it was a nice point and i, I keep that in mind so repetition is about isn't a bad thing. I just wanted to go over quickly the the, the three sections that we um, went through in the chapter. So the chapter is divided. Um, the first section is basically, as we spoke of offering respects to the questioners. Um, in this case, it, uh, it was the sages at Nanishwani asking questions to Sita Goswami. So he offers respects to them, um, mostly for the questions, because the questions are the impetus that causes to come out. And he offers also respects to Shukadev. Um, but the, 
the point kind of is like the, in the Bhagavatam, um, the kind of famous questioner is Mar Maharaj Parikshit. And, and really Maharaj Parikshit is 50% of the Bhagavatam, his, his necessity and his answering, his need to have his questions answered. And, and um, Shukadev is the other 50% of the Bhagavatam. So this is a, the, this dynamic of hearing and chanting. And so this is what's really kind of emphasized in a couple of different verses in that first, that first section of the chapter where he's offering respects. Um, this this uh, questioning and uh, questions and answers go hand in hand, um, like hearing and chanting. They go hand in hand. Um, you know, you could just do one, but actually, our method of, of kirtan is very much a call and response, call and response. There's other forms of kirtan and other traditions and other sects and stuff that that's that is not so much. Ours is very, I think, very characterized by. Um, by this call and response, call and response, em emphasizing this questioning and answering questions. So Maharaj Pariksha is 50%, uh, the, the, the questions are 50%. And this is what uh, is kind of brought out in, in this, this first section of the chapter. Um, and then he offers respects to Sukadev again with beautiful verses um, uh, describing how Sukadev was dear to the whole world, how even the trees loved him and, and how the whole world was dear to him. Um, he spoke the highest benefit uh, uh, for the benefit of all, karunya, this, this word compassion is used. Um, so all could be, all people could be free from, from this cycle of samsara. Um, when, whenever, when in, the, in these verses, when Shukadeva is glorified in that way, it always reminds me of the story, this story of Ramanuja. And I think I saw it in the movie, a movie about Ramanuja. It was very long. <laughs> I remember that, but there was a, 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 a cute part in it where, well, not a cute part, but a powerful part where I think Ramanuja, forgive me if I get the details wrong, but uh, Ramanuja is initiated with this mantra and the guru says, you know, this is a mantra, it's very powerful. It can liberate you from samsara. Um, it can free you from the bonds in the material world, but this is a sacred and secret mantra. So don't tell it to anyone. Um, and then when, when, Ramanuja heard that he went out and climbed a lamppost or he went out and climbed, you know, to the top of a post or something and started shouting the mantra to everybody um, because he, he wanted to share the fact he, he was shouting it from the rooftops. He wanted to share the, share it with everybody because it was, you know, he had learned that it was able to liberate one from, from the bondage of matter. And he didn't care if, if it, uh, you know, he would be sent to hell for that. Um, so, so he did it purely the, to the point being just that he, you know, his compassion kind of overrode it and, and he, 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 he went around sharing that much. Similarly, um, Shukadeva is glorified for his compassion for speaking, speaking this, uh, this Purana, Purana Gungyam, the, the, these, these secrets of the law, like Ramanuja was told this is a secret mantra. Similarly, Shuka is, is revealing this, the Purana Gungyam, the secrets of the Purana. And then the, the, the section ends kind of going to the presiding deities, um, the, like the verse that I just chanted at the beginning here, um, offering respects to the, those that uh, safeguard or manage the different elements of, of the text, the meter, the, the place and whatnot. Um, so that's the first section of this chapter. Then the second section of the chapter moves to answering um, uh, the questions that were given in the first part. And this is a, this is a very, um, important section too because this is where the definitions of pure bhakti are drawn from and, and many of the um 
many of the important points that are made in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and also um, ultimately, you find them in Madhurya Kadambini too, that it's kind of all expands out of this, um, this section. So they answer the questions as to what is the best thing for all of humanity um, and by what will, will we find true satisfaction. Um, that's answered with the famous verse, Sabai Pum Sankaro Dagmo, um, which is the famous de definition um, of pure bhakti. And it lines up, you know, with all the other texts. We can see it kind of as the seed of, of the of Rupa Goswami's definition um, and, and how that all expands and blossoms into the, the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and Madhurya Kadambini. So it's a very famous verse. A lot of these famous verses, like I've, I've mentioned repeated probably several times are found in this section um, then it goes on to to describe a bit of the nature of this satisfaction bhakti yoga prayojita it says in the following verse that's full of these special feelings and it it uh, makes a clear um, uh, distinction or a clear elucidation on on what does not constitute pure bhakti so this this famous distinction between bhakti and gyan and vairagya and dharma um, all this comes in that verse, Vasudevi Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita. And, and later on in, in famous lines like Shrava, Evadi, Kevalam, etc. So it's going through there, defining bhakti, defining what it's not. Um, some contrasts are given later on as to what is not pure bhakti and, and what is the purpose of Dharma. Um, the, the purpose of Dharma is not to satisfy one's senses, etc. Um, and then the idea of the absolute truth is described. And, and this is the idea that was embraced by Mahaprabhu, Vedanti Kattakavida. So another very foundational verse is, is found there with the emphasis coming in the next verse on Bhagavan on, um, well, he's he, as the protector of the devotees. So it ends there, that section ends with it. The devotee should hear and chant and remember and offer puja to to the pati, to the to, to the protector. So one should uh, do sharanagati and hear and chant about Krishna. So that ends kind of the second section of the chapter, which is a very um, in-depth and complete uh, uh, definition of bhakti and and comparing it to the other main strands that one finds in in, in the religious world at the time, um, defining it and um, uh, saying what it's not. We find that carried out throughout our text, and then we did the third section last time, which is another, you know, another uh, very foundational section. This is actually where um, you know the Madhurya Kadambini, for example, is really just an, an elucidation on this, an expansion of this. Um, um, it's the stages of bhakti, so the, the stages that we find in uh, in Shikshastakam, um, they're found here in in, the, in a series of verses here. Um, bhakti Vino brought out. Uh, there, how Shikshastakam was was showing these stages. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, we also see the uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, um, you know, expanded it even further into Madhurya Kadambini. The whole book is about these stages. So um, the third section there uh, started with a verse um, to invoke faith. Uh, this is similar kind of to the first verse of the Shikshastakam, emphasizing the great ability of bhakti to cut through the knot of karma. What was that verse? I think I, I got it right here. Yeah, vidyate hridaya grantis chidyanti sarva samshaya. 
oh, sorry, that's the last verse of, of the section, but it's similar to, uh, with this um, analogy of the sword cutting through the knot um, of karma, the knot of ahankar. Um, and then the, the famous stages of bhakti are given, starting with the mercy of the devotees and service to the devotees. Um, so these are kind of two pre preliminary steps that sometimes aren't, aren't included in, in the, the classical ladder of stages, but they're there. These are kind of the, the um, underlying parts, the roots going down. Um, so the mercy of the devotees, that verse, um, we know is Shushusho Sharahana Sya Vasudeva Kataruchi Syan Mahatsevaya Vikra Punya Tirtha Nishevanat. And then it goes to Shrinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shavana Kirtanaha Vidyanta Sto Hyabadrani Vidhunoti Suhurtsatam. So here we're getting to um, the stage of Bhajana Kriya and Anartha Navriti whereby hearing and chanting about Krishna, the heart is cleansed. And then the next verse, Nasta Praeshu Bhadreshu Nityam Bhagavati Sevaya Bhagavati Uttamashloke Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki. We come to the stage of Nishta. Tadara Jastamo Bhava Kama Loba Dayaschaye Cheta Etara Navidam Stitam Sattve Prasidati. We come to the stage of Ruchi and Asakti. Evam Prasanam Manaso Bhagavad Bhakti Yogataha Bhagavad Tattva Vidyana Mukta Sangasya Jayate. And then finally, to the stages of Bhava and Prem um, um, in this, this final verse. And then, like I said, Vidyate Kridayagrantis, the knot of karma is cut. So, the, so we get these stages in, in this, uh, this third section of the, um, of the Bhagavatam. Culminating in in um, the dar, dar, in prema and the darshan of the Lord, the eyes see his his beauty, the, the nose smells his fragrance. The, the idea is that um, the Lord appears inside the mind, but he also appears outside. Um, so so when with one's eyes you see his beauty, um, smell his fragrance, the ear your ears hear his his giggling and charming laughter. Um, all the senses are engaged basically the, it, by touching, the, the friends are holding his hands, um, the gopis are kissing him, the, the parents are patting his head or, or whatnot. So, so in, at this point, the vision of the Lord inside is also appearing outside. So there's no more, there's no more compartmentalization. Um, the inside is the same as the outside and satisfaction is achieved uh, Presidity, this is a, a word that we find throughout this chapter, um, is achieved for both him and for us because, um, you know, being complete, there's not much that we can give him except for our hearts. And ultimately, that's where he finds satisfaction and we find satisfaction. So that was just a, a running through again um, of these sections, um, these kind of uh, three main sections of the chapter. The chapter, like I, I mentioned, was is entitled Divinity and Divine Service. Um, so the, the, the part of divine service has been explained in these beginning parts or, or the path, the stages of the path um, and the, the definition of, of you know, what is involved. And now it's kind of pivoting to just describe more um, the object of the path or the object of bhakti, which is Bhagavan. So we go from well, the chapter is divinity and divine service, but we go from divine service now it's pivoting more to divinity. Um, and this ultimately, this this um, this last section of the chapter, because it kind of changes a little bit here, 
um, this last fourth section of chapter two kind of segues into chapter three. And chapter three, as I mentioned at the beginning, was is a chapter all about the different avatars of Krishna. Um, so the many faces and the many emotional realities of, of God are described in the third chapter, leading up ultimately to uh, the, you know, if there's two kind of like core verses, one of them, uh, you know, core verses of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that, that Jiva Goswami and uh, Krishnas Kaviraj used to, to uh, you know, to construct their, their Mangalacharans. And it's, of course, Vedanti Tattva Viras. Um, oh, no, sorry, that's, that's the first one. But in the second chapter, um, sorry, in the third chapter, where we're segueing into it, it, that's the first one. And we find the second one in the third chapter, which is Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So these two things are put together. And basically, we have um, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Um, and that's found in the third chapter. So here, in this last section of chapter two, um, we start to we start to hear about the guna avatars. So basically, in a sense, we, we're starting to hear about the very various the the the, the, the lowest end um, of of the of of the object, the lowest end of Bhagavan. I mean, sometimes higher and lower is not maybe the best words to use. Um, perhaps you could think of uh, you know. Uh, in more the more kind of external that's a good word because these ones the guna avatars are of course in relation to the gunas so perhaps the more we're starting at the low end basically the more external or or lower manifestations of divinity um, and then it works its way up from the guna avatars to the purusha going all the way up through the the most famous kind of um avatars of Krishna, ultimately leading to Krishna and Balaram, or Bhagavan Swayam. Excuse me. So here we're about to hear about the object of bhakti and his lowest, ma lowest manifestation as a guna avatar. This is the famous Trimurti, so uh, uh, the three-formed Lord. So it's the, the Lord in relation to the three modes of material nature. So in a sense, the closest to us. So I'll just read this first verse. Satvam rajas tama iti kakriter gunas trayer. Yukta para purusha eka ihasya date. Stitya die hari vrimchi hareti samgya. Shoyamsi tatra kalo sattva tanor nuham suyu. So I'll, I'll read Prabhupada's translation and then I'll read the translation from. It's not his translation because Vishnu Chakravarti didn't speak English, but um, from that, that commentary. So the transcend transcendental Lord is indirectly associated with the three modes of material nature, namely passion, goodness, and ignorance. And just for the material world's creation, maintenance, and destruction, he accepts three qualitative forms of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Of these three, all living beings can derive the ultimate benefit from Vishnu, the form of the quality of goodness. So here we're getting the first descriptions of, of God, the one to whom the path of bhakti is de dedicated. Um, and let's just see how, how it's described in this one. Okay, if the, the one supreme purusha accepting the gunas of prakriti, known as sattva, rajas, and tamas, for creation, maintenance, and destruction is called Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva. 
The best results for the devotees will come from Vishnu with the Shuddha Sattva body. So just a little distinction in the translation here with the inclusion of the, with the emphasis of the term Shuddha Sattva and that, that we'll see that word come up in the next couple of verses. So the Supreme Purusha accepts three qualitative forms, just like the verse said, for the maintenance, creation, and destruction of the material world. Um, in this verse, Vishnu is singled out as the ultimate uh, benefactor or ultimate uh, object of worship for the devotees. And it's kind of important actually to understand, um, um, understand these distinctions between these three faces of the, the tree Murti um, to avoid an aparad, and it's it's the second aparad to the holy name of the Lord, which is to, um, it's translated differently by different acharyas. Prabhupada translated it um, like uh, to see the demigods as, as equal to the Supreme Lord, um, but it's also translated sometimes to see, um, to see say like Lord Shiva to be separate or independent from, from the Supreme Lord. So it's an, actually an important verse to understand this verse and the following verse um, because it, it, it gives one the knowledge so that um, one doesn't commit this, the second offense to the holy name. And Gumaj often mentions in, in relation to a lot of these aparads that, you know, if you have the knowledge, it's, it's actually very easy not to commit them. So um, if you have, info, if you, have um, you know, the gyan about about these things, then they're not such hard things to uh, to avoid. Um, so, like I said, often it's translated as the name the names of the demigods to be the same as the name of Lord Vishnu, um, but it can also be translated to consider, uh, say, Lord Shiva as different from different or separate from from Lord Vishnu. So it's a positive. Uh, uh, well, well, here it, it it instructs the devotees to focus on the kind of most positive. Form of, of Lord Vishnu, who provides over sattva, and sattva is the mode of material nature. Of course, we know that that kind of governs the maintenance and uh, the maintenance of of the universe. Um, it has the qualities of revelation of knowledge um, and, and a certain amount of detachment to enjoyment. Although it does produce happiness, um, it, the, this main quality of revelation of knowledge is is a positive thing for the devotees to cultivate. Um, and actually, many that many of the symptoms of sattva are favorable because it gives you know the facility to understand. It sheds. It, it reveals the nature of things. Um, and and as is said here in other places in the scripture, actually sattva can give one a glimpse. You know, can can reveal Brahman in a sense. Um, it can reveal a glimpse of of eternity or a glimpse. Um, of of Brahman, the difference between Brahman and Jiva, the similarity between Brahman. Brahman and Jiva. Um, so I've experienced the two kind of sattva, this, this maintenance and steadiness and regularity where it, it gives one a glimpse of, of uh, eternality. Um, once just I, I was in the, the bathhouse with the devotee and, and in the morning we're like, oh, here we go, another day. And he made this comment that struck me. He just said, oh, it's just one long day. And <laughs> it struck me because it was I mean, it was, he said it in a positive sense, but just that this, this, the, the nature of sattva that permeates kind of like, um, uh, you know, ashram life where one is doing things very regularly in the mode of goodness and stuff. It started, it, it gave this glimpse of, oh, it's just one day, one long day. And it kind of gave this glimpse of eternality. I think I heard Shams Sundar maybe 
spoke of when they were when he was in Vrindavan with Gumaraj and Vrindranya, they would go every night to to hear a certain sannyasi sing the Sandhya Artik at, at a temple. I can't one of the famous temples at at Gokul, uh, Gokulananda. And every night he would sing the same song and the same tune in the exact same way. And Gumaraj commented that it was like a you know a window into eternity. Um, um, of course, in this, it's, it's a spiritual thing in the sense that it's kirtan for the Lord and the temple and whatnot. But I mean, I'm speaking like of the regularity and the commitment and these kind of sattvic qualities, uh, repetition and what kind of, uh, he, he commented that I think, I think Sean was thinking like, oh man, it's the same tune every night. And Gumarsh thought, oh, it's the same tune every night. It's a glimpse into, um, into in eternality, a glimpse into the, to the beyond. But that being said, um, Sattvagun is still a material mode of nature. Um, I think the example is given, you know, you can be bound by rope, but you know, can be bound by barbed wire or chains of iron, or you can be bound by chains of gold, um, but you're still bound. Uh, or sometimes it's like there's wet stool and there's dry stool. So maybe comparatively dry stool is a little bit better, but it's still stool. <laughs> Uh, and Gumars gives a nice example of the airport as describing um, a sattva guru, you know, that it, it's, um, it allows you to take off, but it's not the destination in and of itself. There's all kinds of movies out there about people who end up living in airports, and it's a very bizarre existence. They get trapped in an airport for whatever reason. There's a, a few movies like that. So it's not a place that one wants to stay, but one wants to use in order, in order to go forward. Um, and it's a mistake actually to think that one, uh, so people think this, um, and in other traditions, I think it might be taught that, but it's a mistake to think that by singling out sattva, by refining it or, or um, you know, singling it out, that one will come to this idea of, of shruta sattva or vishuddha sattva, pure existence, transcendental existence. Um, like that Krishna's form and identity is based out of, because actually the modes of material nature um, they can never be disentangled. Um, they, they, the modes do not exist in, in isolation ever, except for, for before the beginning of creation. I think it's, it's said that the modes are in equilibrium. Um, but that's not, not, not too much use to us. So basically in, in, our, in our existence, the modes of material nature are never never existing in isolation, never in a pure form. form. That's why this form of, of sattva is referred to as mishra sattva, which means mixed sattva, um, as opposed to shuddha sattva, which means pure existence, or vishuddha sattva, exceptionally pure existence. So um, it's always a tangled knot, the knot that we spoke of that before that the sword will cut through, the, the, the sword of remembrance of Krishna will cut through the knot um, the knot of a hunkar that binds us to this world. Um, and sattva is still a form of conditioning. It, it binds one, this is what the Gita says, is that it binds one to knowledge and happiness. Um, so it cannot make, uh, it cannot make something transcendental to itself. It is not transcendental and therefore it cannot make something. So only something transcendental can make something transcendental. So it cannot make one transcendental to itself. Um, they're constantly in flux. So the, you know, there's examples. Um, I read an example about um, milk, yeah, milk being a very sattvic food, but then 
you know, if, if one eats too much of it, so, so the element of rajas is mixed in, or if the milk is stale, you know, an element of tamas is mixed in, then, um, then one becomes ill. So, or, you know, even the idea of sattvic food and whatnot, um, you know, if you eat too much of it, it's not sattvic, or if, you eat, if it's too old, it's not sattvic anymore. So none of the gunas are really found in a pure st state anywhere here in the material world. Uh, th that's basically the point. So um, what the verse is saying here is, though, is that although Vishnu is um, presiding over sattva, um, Vishnu is near guna, so he's beyond the gunas. Um, so in this connection, it's, it's, it's meant to be understood that he presides over sattva by supervision. So there's kind of three ways in which these deities interact with the gunas. Um, Vishnu is by supervision. Um, Shiva is by, by proximity. He's a very special character. Um, and then Brahma is by contact. So I, I, I was kind of thinking about it, and I guess I thought of it in this, maybe a good way to explain it would be something like in a factory. Like in a factory, you have all the guys down on the floor running the machinery and the management is usually up in this office. At least that's the factories that I've seen where there's, you know, that kind of like some kind of staircase, fire escape staircase going up to a box, an office. And they're, they're there in, you know, in the factory, but they're, they're removed from their factory and they're looking down through the window they're doing their management, but they also um, have a, a view of what's going down on the floor. So they're, um, they're involved um, uh, by overseeing the work, the work, by overseeing the work down below, but they're not actually down there involved in it. Um, so they're never touched by the molinets. So that's why um, the benefit for the devotees comes from worshiping Vishnu because he's not actually um, touched or contaminated by the modes. Because nirguna worship takes one to nirguna. You can't worship. You can't be involved with the, the gunas and, and filter them out and get out of them. That's not possible. But if if, so, if you're involved with something from the other side, something nirguna, um, then was able to get out of get out of the modes. And Vishnu, in any one of his forms, is is um is beyond the modes. So then we move on to a very special position of of in the verse of Shiva. So both Vishnu and Shiva are described as um, as Ishwar Chaitanya. So there's kind of living beings are divided into two categories. There's the Ishwar Chaitanya, conscious living beings, Ishwar Chaitanya and Jiva Chaitanya. And um, so both Vishnu and Shiva are described as being Ishwar Chaitanya. So they're independent consciousness, whereas Jiva Chaitanya is considered to be a dependent form of consciousness. So Ishwar Chaitanya is again of two types. There's uh, untouched by Maya, which I just described as Lord Vishnu. And then there's one who accepts the touches, touch of Maya, but by his own decision, by his own will, conscious decision. And so that would be Lord Shiva. Um, and he's generally not a, a Ajiva. I think in some very particular cases, perhaps he is. But so to understand this, um, we can we can look in the the Brahma Samhita, which is such a beautiful uh, book. It was you know discovered by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, embraced by him as being uh, full of the Siddhanta um, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and it um, it's really nice because in other classes I've gone and looked at it and really found examples of what was being spoken about in this chapter. And here there's there's verses on on Shuddhasattva and Shiva and Brahman. So the verse on Shiva goes, um, I worship the Lord, the Supreme Lord Govinda, who becomes the form of Shiva 
who is said to be non-different from Govinda, but who is also different because of his contact with the transformations of Prakriti, just as milk becomes yogurt, which is said to be non-different from its cause, but acts in a different manner. So the example here is given of milk and yogurt, and it's given to explain the, the idea of cause and effect, not transformation. It's not that, that Vishnu transforms into Shiva, um, but in this world, milk changes into yogurt with the contact of other yogurt or, or acids or, or whatnot, um, yogurt starter. So it changes, uh, it changes to yogurt, but Vishnu doesn't change into Shiva. So he accepts a separate form of Shiva and that form voluntarily takes, um, voluntary inter voluntarily interacts with Tamagun, but, but it's made clear that he, he's still not contaminated. So in the example of the factory, this would be someone like a floor manager who comes down who's part of management, but, but comes down and circulates on the floor of the factory. So he's not a worker or a laborer, um, you know, bound by the rules and, and regulations of working there, um, but he is in proximity with the, the, the workers. So he's, he's an, in an, in an, in an in-between. And on top of this, it's made clear that this manifestation of Shiva is, is again, the, the lowest manifestation of Shiva, which is Rudra, the destroyer. So he's never touched by Tamagun, but um, the, the Tattva Shiva is very complicated. I, I don't think I, you know, I don't fully understand the ins and outs of it either. Um, but the Tattva Shiva goes, it goes much, much higher than that. So it goes from this Guna avatar of Rudra that we're speaking about in these verses to uh, Shiva's the husband of Parvati, easily, you know, easily granting boons to his devotees. I mean, it goes even higher to Mahadev Shiv, who, who we know, the Gyani, um, dressed in ashes, detached, and then to the purely transcendental Sada Shiva. Um, Advaita Acharya said to be a combination of Mahavishnu and Sada Shiva, and, and of course, uh, manifestation like a Gopi, Gopishwar Mahadev in Vrindavan. So Shiva's a very complex tattva and um, goes very, very high to, to, to purely transcendental. And, um, but what we're talking about here is Rudra, who's kind of on the lower end of things. So it's, again, it's good to understand these things so one doesn't make um, an offense to the, to the second name of the, uh, to make an offense to, to the holy name of the Lord, the second offense. Mahadev Shiva is like, described as like a limb of Vishnu. So you can't massage one part of, of Shiva while stabbing the other. Um, and, and so since he's a limb too, the idea is that it's an offense to consider him uh, either separate or different. Prabhupada says something really nice. I was just reading in the fifth canto about um, Bharat Maharaj's um, uh, sacrifices that he performed. Uh, and Prabhupada said that it was because it was talking about all the different demigods. So I just wanted to read about that a bit. And, Prabhupada said that, that Shiva is nothing but Krishna's functional body. So I thought that was a nice sentence. Now, Brahma is, is different in the sense because usually, uh, because he's Jiva Chaitanya. So he's a dependent consciousness. And I think, you know, once in a while in special yugas or kalpas or something, uh, there can be an exception to that. But generally through performing Varnashram perfectly, a Jiva rises to the surface and takes the position um, of Lord Brahma. So he's invested with energy. He channels Lord Vishnu's power, but there's no real identity. There's no real identity in that sense. So he's empowered by this specific energy of creation um, from the Lord. And we can re we can read that precisely in the the Brahma Samhita again. So Brahma is described here. 
when the text says, I worship the Supreme Lord Govinda who becomes Brahma, the creator of the universe by bestowing his powers to that Jiva, just as the sun displays a small portion of its powers of heat and light in all the sunstones which represent it. So that's pretty, pretty clear. Um, he's an empowered, an empowered being. Um, the sun displays, uh, I guess, in, I'm not exactly sure what a sunstone is, but the sun displays a small portion of its heat and light in these sunstones. So he's situated in, in Rajas, uh, he's in contact with Rajas, like the workers are situated on the floor of the factory in contact with the, the machines and the, and, and the grime, I suppose. Um, but because the powers are conferred upon him, he's considered to be an avatar. So that's the description of the Guna avatars. And then we'll just, we'll go to the next verse, which is verse 25, 24. Tasmad Agnis Tamasas tu rajas tasmat sattvam yad brahmadarshanam. So here Prabhupada translates it, coal is better than raw wood. But I, I think what, what we mean here is smoke. Um, so anyhow, coal is better than raw wood and fire is even better for fire is the soul of Vedic sac sacrifice. Similarly, passion, rajas, is better than ignorance, tamas. The goodness, sattva, is best because by goodness, one can come to realize the absolute truth from him. So I'll just read the other um, translation because it, it uses the word smoke, which makes it a little bit more clear because the word is actually um, dumas. Duma means smoke, but Prabhupada didn't put that precise word. But uh, this translation says, smoke is superior to dull wood and fire sacred to the Vedas is superior to smoke. Similarly, rajas is superior to tamas and sattva is superior to rajas since, it's a, since it is favorable for realizing the Lord. So here are the respective qualities um, and values of the gunas that we spoke about in the previous verse um, are given. Um, we hear that, uh, about tamas, it's related to, it's described as being like wood in the sense that it, it obscures knowledge. Um, Vishwanath Chakrabarti comments that it, it causes subtraction, which is interesting, destruction basically. Um, and here it's represented by the wood because it has no quality of action um, compared, when it, compared to the others and it's unable to kind of reveal anything in the way that fire would be. And then the next, uh, Rajas is compared to smoke because it's, it agitates knowledge and causes addition with, or creation um, and it has an active nature. And then finally, um, fire is given, sattvam yad brahmadarshanam, it says. Um, so sattva is the quality of revealing knowledge. That that's what this line here is saying. Sattvam, it has a, the ability to give darshan of, of Brahma, if it's, of course, if it's much better bhakti, but, um, and, it, and fire is active, it's used in the Vedic rituals. Sattva is devoid um, of inertia and agitation and it's superior because it can give vision of, of Brahman, of Jiva, um, but of course, we know, I mean, it requires bhakti to do that, but of course, we know a vision of Krishna is something else entirely. Um, and that's Vishuddha Sattva. We find that, that word coming in the next verse, which is a, an important, important word. Um, so Sattva is, in, is superior amongst the three. And the reason for that is because it's not unfavorable for realizing Shuddha Sattva. Um, it's not obstructive. It doesn't cover it. Um, it doesn't interfere. Um, but 
like I said, without bhakti, um, seeing the Lord is impossible. So one would conclude by reading this verse that um, Rajagun is superior to Tamagun, and it is um, in the hierarchy, and Satragun is superior to Rajagun um, because fire is superior because it has heat and light and it you know can reveal things, and smoke is superior to wood because it has movement and one can perceive some heat in it. Um, but this uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur makes a comment that this doesn't mean that the presiding deity of Rajas, Brahma, is superior to the presiding deity of Tamas, who is Lord Shiva. It's actually the reverse. Um, so one can, I mean, he gives the example, I think, that one can extract um, the fire that's hidden in the word through friction, but one cannot extract fire and light from smoke. So this, this example is not, um, it's good um, in, in indicating the hierarchy of, of gunas and which is the most favorable, but it's not, it's not uh, saying that the deity is presiding. It's not, it's not correct in the, in the sense that the deity is pre presiding over those um, gunas are in that hierarchy. Yeah, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur also comments um, by citing an example um, from Vedanta. We find this also in Brumaj's Tepa Sandarbha, um, where they cite uh, deepless dream, dreamless sleep. Um, so the sleep where one is not dreaming, where one is not conscious of one's body or mind at all. Um, this is an effect of Tamagun. Um, you know, as, as, as a comparison, they compare this to actually to experiencing pure consciousness or the bliss of oneness with Brahman. Because it's it's kind of it took me a little while to get my mind around, it, but the the mind and the body shut down, so the physical realms and the mental realms, um, the, the mental realms of consciousness, the physical realms of consciousness, all merge into this this deep sleep shushupti. But what happens is the experience upon waking, one one remembers that one has slept well. When when you have a night full of dreaming and nightmares, sometimes you don't feel like you, when you wake up, you feel very rested. But um, when one has really deep sleep and it's just like, bam, you're out and you wake up in, in next morning, one feels, one remembers that one had rested really well. So even in this state, um, it appears to be oblivion, um, but upon waking, one has the experience that, that, you know, I'm rested, I've slept well. And the idea basically is that there can't be a remembrance of a thing that one has no experience of. So that one was there beyond the awareness of the body and the mind experiencing that state of rest. So the mind and body had shut down, but there was still someone there having experience of resting. And anyhow, the point is simply that, um, you know, that Vedanta makes Jiva Goswami, this is found in the Tattasandarva, um, just that the effect of Tamagun um, of this deep sleep kind of compared to, to uh, Rajagun is, is higher. So the idea is that Shiva is considered to be superior than Lord Brahma in this way, in that he's he's more connected to pure consciousness. So it gives us this, these verses um, give us some orientation in relation to the this Trimurti, the, the three Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the Guna avatars of the Lord, and how to see them um, all in relation to, to Vishnu, and therefore to avoid any, any offenses. Um, you know, Mahaprabhu was very, very open to all the different manifestations of the Lord, especially Shiva. He had so much respect for Lord Shiva and his journey in the south of India. He, 
he was going into Shiva temples and offering offering respects. Um, he even, you know, throughout the, the Chaitanya Bhagavad took on the bobs of all these different um, manifestations like Shiva or Devi who, who are different some may be demigods, some may be in a, in a special higher category. Um, so these two verses actually, these two, uh, these two um, Srimad Bhagavatam verses that I just read, text 23 and 24 are actually quoted in, in Madhurya Kadambini. So you see how much Madhurya Kadambini is based on this chapter. It's, you know, it has a definition of pure bhakti, it has the stages of bhakti, and then when it gets into the stage of uh, Anartha Nivriti, I think, and it's it's going through the, you know, all the different operads and whatnot to avoid these two verses are found. So many, many of these verses are are, are foundational to Vishnu Chakravarti's, you know, lovely book um, about practicing bhakti, Madhurya uh, Kadambini. Um, so we'll move on to verse 25. What's the time? We have 15 minutes. Verse 25. munayo tagre bhagavatam adhoksajam sattvam vishudam kshemaya kalpante yenutaniha. So previously, all the great sages rendered service into the transcendental personality of Godhead, Bhagavan, due to his existence above the three modes of material nature, sattvam vishudam. Um, they worship him to become free from material conditions. Whoever follows such sages is also eligible for liberation from the material world. And here we have Vishwanath's English version, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's English version, where he says, therefore, all the, sage, all the ancient sages worship the Supreme Lord beyond the material senses composed of Vishuddha Those who follow the sages attain liberation in this world. So in this verse, um, Bhagavan is described as beyond the material senses at hoksaja. So this is a word that's used again. We find it as several times in this verse, uh, sorry, in this chapter. We found it, of course, in the, the seminal verse of Savayatim uh, And we find it here again, emphasizing the point that um, Vishnu or the Lord Krishna, ultimately Krishna is at hoksaja, beyond the material senses. At hoksaja refers to like, you know, transcendent. It also refers to Krishna and Vrindavan, as we, we spoke about being born under the axle of the cart. Um, and it also speaks of him as being composed of Vishuddha Sattva. So here this verse is contrasting the Sattva spoken of in the previous verses, the previous two verses, and this new idea of Vishuddha Sattva. So beyond the Sattva of the material creation, which always has, as I mentioned, some admixture of Rajas or Tamas, um, this the strands are always knotted up to a certain extent. There's this Shuddha Sattva. So in this context, uh, Shuddha Sattva means pure existence, Shuddha and then Sattva existence. Because Sattva, besides meaning the mode of goodness and, and whatnot, means that kind of which sustains or maintains uh, a thing, the, the quality of a thing. So this means pure existence. In, in the transcendental realm, this is referred to as Shuddha, uh, sorry, Sandini Shakti. So Shuddha Sattva is basically Sandini Shakti, the Lord's, um, the power that maintains. Um, but 
even even purer than this, even up the up the hierarchy a little bit, even purer than Shura Sattva. I mean, they're kind of essentially the same thing. I, I'm not sure that the, there's too much of a distinction, but we hear these different these different words and 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 uh, Jiva Goswami in the in the Brahma Samhita does make a slight distinction. So above this Shura Sattva or pure existence. There's something even purer still, which is called Vishuddha Sattva. And that's what we see in this verse, Sattvam Vishuddha. So Vishuddha Sattva is functioning by the Lord's Chitshakti, and it's described as being made up of Sandini. So the Shuddha Sattva that we spoke of before, but as well, Sambit and Hladini. And this is what manifests the form of Bhagavan itself. So there's a nice verse in the Brahma Samhita, of course, that describes this, that says, in English, it says, I worship the Supreme Lord Govinda, whose material energy, Maya, consists of the three gunas described elaborately in the Vedas, produces hundreds of universes, while he himself is pure sattva, vishuddha sattva, existence, which is the cause of material sattva, which manifests his blissful form. <clears throat> so, so this verse speaks of, um, of, of his blissful form as being manifest in Vishuddha Sattva. And there's a, another very famous verse that I'm gonna read um, that's speaking of this Nirguna manifestation of the Lord. Um, and this, this, it's this Nirguna form that the sages are worshiping because um, mentioned in this verse, the sages of yore, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, whoever follows these, you know, previously all the great sages rendered service unto this transcendental personality. Whoever follows such sages is also eligible for liberation of the material world. So the sages, um, they're worshiping this nirguna manifestation of the sword, Vishuddha Sattva, and, and because in order to get out, um, get out of the gunas, the worship needs to be directed towards something that is beyond the gunas. So here's a famous verse spoken by none other than Lord Shiva to Sati. And he says, Sattvam Vishuddham Vasudeva Shabditam Yad Iyate Katrakumam Apagrita Sattvecha Tasmin Bhagavan Vasudevo Yadhoksajo Me Namasa Vidhyate. I'm always engaged in offering obeisances to Lord Vasudeva and pure Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness is always pure consciousness in which the Supreme Personality of Godhead, known as Vasudeva, is revealed without any covering. So, um, Basically, the verse is saying that the state of unalloyed being, Vishuddha Sattva, is called Vasudeva because the personal God um, is revealed therein, or he is revealed without any covering within this, this um, state of unalloyed being, Vishuddha Sattva. So Vishuddha Sattva is not just Sattva that has been refined and purified. I've mentioned that several times. Um, um, increasing one's Sattva in one's life is useful because it it, it increases the facility to understand um, things, spiritual subjects. Decreasing rajas and tamas is useful because you know, they tend to obscure things and bind one to things. Um, but bhakti is not dependent on these gunas at all. So one does not need to be in sattva to practice, although it can be beneficial. Um, but even Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that sattva binds one to happiness and, and knowledge. So this Vishuddha sattva is is, is a different thing. Sattva is still a form of con conditioning. Vishuddha Sattva is entirely transcendental. So it's a, the very, um, it's this very special pure existence where the form of the Lord is revealed. And it's it's nice, it's called Vasudev or Vasudev with a short A. Um, 
So the Lord is revealed there in this Vasudev with a short A, um, and that, of course, is a name for Krishna's father. In the very beginning of the Bhagavatam, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, it's given there um, Vasudev with a long A, referring to Krishna, but Vasudev is the father of Krishna, and he's addressed or described as the embodiment of that pure state of Vishuddha Sattva. Prabhupada makes a really nice uh, comment in, where is it? It's in, oh, it's just back in, in chapter one, text 12, where the sages are asking about, um, you know, they asked a series of six questions. One of them was about, tell us about Krishna who took birth from Devaki and why and whatnot. He's, all blessings upon you, O Sutta Goswami. You know the purpose of the personality of Godhead's appearance in the womb of Devaki as the son of Vasudev. And Prabhupada makes a really nice comment in that, you know, when the sages are, are glorifying Sutta and asking the question of his purpose, um, he says, La, uh, he says, where is it? Oh, Lord Sri Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, appeared to Devaki, the wife of Vasudev. And then he says, Vasudev, with a short A, the father, Vasudev, is the symbol of the transcendental position wherein the appearance of the Supreme Lord takes place. So there Prabhupada is saying in his purport, um, the same thing that Lord Shiva says to Sati in the fourth chapter, fourth canto of the Bhagavatam. Um, and from Srila Prabhupada's uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita commentary, he gives kind of a synopsis of Jiva Goswami's explanation of these potencies. Um, so he says, the transcendental potency by which the Lord maintains his existence is called Sundini. The transcendental potency by which the Lord knows himself and causes others to know him is called Samdit. And the potency by which he possesses transcendental bliss and causes his devotees to have this bliss is called Vladini. The total ex exhibition of these potencies is called Vishuddha Sattva. In the mundane mode of goodness, there are tinges of passion and ignorance being mixed. It is called Mishra Sattva, but in the transcendental variegatedness of Vishuddha Sattva, it is completely free from all mundane qualities. Vishuddha Sattva is therefore the proper atmosphere in which to experience the personality of Godhead and his transcendental pastimes. So it's not that he's of this world um, and, and the form of the Lord, his pastimes are, are not, not of this world. So the idea here is that by worshiping Vishnu, one is able to extract oneself. And, and I guess the point too is that this Vishuddha Sattva is also just, it's really just another word uh, for bhakti, the internal energy of the Lord, because the Lord only manifests himself in bhakti. So when, when one's heart um, is infused you know, with bhakti, with this, this, his internal energy, then the Lord's form can make um, an appearance in the heart there. So now we can, we can do one, I think there's time for one more verse, verse 26. Okay. So, Those who are serious about liberation are certainly non-envious, and they respect all. Yet they reject the horrible and ghastly forms of the demigods and worship only the all-blissful forms and plenary portions of Lord Vishnu. Rejecting the frightful forms of other devatas, persons desiring liberation, what to speak of the devotees, without criticizing those devatas, worship the avatars of Narayana. 
So it's very similar. So similar. So here in this this next verse is contrasting the great sages who worship the Vishuddhasattva form of the Lord um, um, with those in the lower modes of nature and the those who have other other aspirations. Um, so what stands out really in this verse is the is um, well a couple things the uh, the horrible and ghastly forms that some people worship in order to fulfill their desires, and also the description of the devotees as anasuyadaha or non-envious. Um, so it's a nice it's it's a nice description of the devotees. We find it at the very very beginning of the of the Srimad Bhagavatam Dharma Pratita Kaivakilta Parama Nirmat Saranam Shatam. So Satam. So the devotees are truthful, satam, but they're free from any any envy. Their hearts are completely pure. Nirmatsaranam is the word. Nirmatsaranam satam. So this is a description of the devotees that we find in the very beginning. We find it here too. And it's an important point to, to bring out because often we hear most, you know, most things can be dovetailed in in devotional service, almost anything, even things like anger. And I think in um it's escaping my mind right now, the the book. But where I think Naratam Das Thakur explains how how um, you know even some of these these unbecoming qualities like anger and whatnot can be used in the service of the Lord, dovetailed in the service of the Lord. But I've heard Guru Maharaj say that actually envy is the only one that it is not possible to to dovetail. Um, it's different than jealousy. Jealousy is where one you know, maybe want something that another person has or want some quality or result that another person got. But envy is on a different level and that's where um, one can't tolerate um, somebody else's success. And we see like in, how that's completely absent in, in Vrindavan. All the devotees in Vrindavan, they want, you know, whoever's best at serving Krishna to be pushed forward and do that service. Um, the bet, you know, whoever has the best idea for serving um, even if it's not one's own idea, you know, they want to push that person forward. Um, so the devotees are described in that way in this verse. Um, and then, you know, the people who, who are desiring other things other than Krishna's pleasure, that, that the, the type of the forms that they're willing to worship um, in order to get those results, Gora Rupam, right, these ghastly forms and, and, the verse makes it clear that the devotees don't criticize these forms or they don't, they have no envy, they have no reason to, um, but those are not the forms that the, the devotees worship. Um, I can just end with a, a real quick story about Srila Sridhar Maharaj, um, where he lived in Bengal, where there's a lot of worshipers of Kali, um, who in a sense is a, at least visually is kind of ghastly looking woman, um, violent and uh, severed heads and severed arms and whatnot, blood. It's it's it is a ghastly image. Um, but there are many shaktas, many devotees of Kali and Bengal, and I guess some um, very erudite and uh, uh, intelligent uh, devotee of Kali came to debate with with Srila Sridhar Maharaj. And Srila Sridhar Maharaj, um, before beginning the debate, just kind of wanted to be okay. Well, can, let's just let's just uh, you know. Uh, lay out who it is we're exactly talking about and had him had this I think it was a lady actually had a lady describe you know Kali and describe Krishna or Shamsundar this you know beautiful young boy all these 
uh, charming, soft, gentle qualities, and and then had had her describe Kali, you know, with fangs and severed arms as a skirt and in the cremation grounds and whatnot, and just kind of laid out the descriptive, um, or laid out the description of the two goals or the two deities, and, and was kind of like, well, where do you want to go? Which one do you want to associate with? Um, and in that way, he didn't even really debate with her. He just kind of, uh, you, know, sh you know, showed how charming and, and lovely Krishna is compared to kind of a ghastly form of what, you know, why would you want to want to spend one's time there? Like, even Durga, I mean, she's got so many arms and so many weapons sitting on a tiger. What, what do you want to do? You want to get on the tiger with her? You might, you might get cut or something. Whereas with Krishna, one's invited to participate in cow herding or um, the Rasa dance, all these kind of lovely things. So he made that point very simply and very, very nicely to her. I'm not sure what the result was actually, but um, I've heard Gumash tell that story a couple of times. So I guess I'll stop there because we're right at, at 1030 now. There's still a few more verses in this chapter. Um, that segue um, into the third chapter. So we're here we spoke about the kind of lower forms of the Lord, the guna avatars, the most intertwined or, or the ones with the most proximity to the material world. And then it's going to slowly move. They made some comparison between um, uh, the transcendental Vishnu forms and other, for, uh, other forms that are touched or, or ghastly. And then now we're going to move on into the Purusha, and then it, it, it kind of segues into the third chapter where it speaks of that and then goes kind of up the ladder, you know, from Matsya to Kurama, all these, these wonderful devotees, ending with Krishna and Balaram. Um, not quite ending, but they're, they're right up at the top, and, and the famous, famous verse, Krishna's two Bhagavan's Swami. So we'll see that in the next couple couple classes. So I'll end there. And, um, I don't know if anybody has any comments or if they have anything that they would like to share or any uh, questions. I think we're supposed to um, have the questions put onto the top of the lake so that everybody can participate in them. But if anybody has anything that they want to uh, mention. I, I wanted to ask, because I don't have a Facebook account. Oops, I just lost you. No, it's here. It's I know how to do it. And I just wanted to ask you um, that, what do you say about uh, Rudra in comparison to Shiva? Well, um, this is found, I, I think I read about, well, all I was saying that is Rudra is kind of like the lower, a lower manifestation of Shiva. Rudra is the destroyer. Rudra is the, the guna avatar. And then just like there are kind of different, there's a different kind of hierarchy of, of um, manifestations of Lord Vishnu, there's also kind of different hierarchy of Lord Shiva. Of course, they're one and different at the same time, but Lord Shiva, uh, sorry, Lord Rudra, the destroyer is the one who's most intimately um, involved in the material world, in Tamagun, in destruction. And then there's different manifestations of Shiva going up from, you know, to uh, Mount Kailash, uh, Shiva Loka, and then Sada Shiva is, is completely beyond, is completely transcendental. Or for example, uh, Gopishwar Mahadev is, is in Krishna Leela. So he's a, he's a kind of higher, for lack of a better term, manifestation of Shiva. Whereas Rudra is kind of a lower manifestation of Shiva. Okay. Like, something like that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Okay. Shiva is a super complicated and, and nuanced uh, 
um, Tatra. So that, I'm, I'm not uh, very expert on it, but that's what I've understood. Thank you. Thank you. Does that, anybody else have anything they would like to share or any corrections? Jaguar, it's Omkar here. Haribo. I just wanted to ask if you could clearly uh, uh, or quickly um, tell me what's the difference between Shuddha and Vishuddha. Um, well, Shuddha means pure and V is like, Vishuddha means like especially pure or I, I'm not sure what the, the, the technical word for that would be. John, do you know what? A prefix. It's a prefix, right? So it's like a, you know, a little thing that's put on the beginning of a word to emphasize it or bring it up a notch. So Shuddha Sattva refers to um, pure existence. Shuddha Sattva, pure existence. So that's existence beyond the modes of material nature. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with the Shuddha, the Guna Shuddha, the Mishra Shuddha. So it's pure existence. And another word for that is Sandini. We hear about these three shaktis in the transcendental world, right? Sandini. So it, it would also be like the sat, um, the, the pure existence. Now, vishuddha, and I've heard that there's not really much of a difference actually between vishuddha and, and uh, vishuddha sattva and shuddha sattva, but vishuddha sattva just means like a, a special purity, a special pure existence. So it's just kind of bringing it up a notch. It is distinguished. Jiva Goswami does distinguish it in the Bhagavad Sandarva, but I didn't I didn't go through it because it's quite complicated. The place that I saw it was in the Brahma Samhita, his commentary on the Brahma Samhita. He said Shuddha Sattva refers to the Sandini, and Vishuddha Sattva refers to the Chit Shakti in in the the spirit the the spiritual Shakti in 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 whole, including um Sandini, Sambit, and Vladini. And it's in with all those three together that the form of the Lord takes place so that, that's i don't know if that answers your question yeah jay thank you that sounds complicated maybe further uh look into it is in uh in order yeah i guess it's like the uh, is like pure existence and the is like very pure existence or something like that it's a prefix Anybody else have any comments? Okay. Well, Shrimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.